without being having the opportunity to be offended, having the opportunity to have someone uh, cause us hurt or cause us pain. And uh, so we want to make sure that we walk as a restored people. That's who we are. And actually, that's what we're going to talk about today. If you have not been with us, we're in a series that actually comes out of a book called Redefined by Arden Bevere. And if you want to pick up a copy after the service, there are copies available. And each week we are reading one of the chapters. Um, And then each week someone is going to be sharing from that chapter uh, a message. And some of the information will come directly from the chapter and some will come um, as a supplement to the chapter. And so I encourage you, if you can, to pick up a copy of it. Last week we talked about being a focused people. We are not a lost people. We are a focused people. And we talked about how we have to ask ourselves, what are the things that I'm focused on right now? And then how do those things affect my relationship with God? How do I live a life where I seek first his kingdom and his righteousness? And today we're looking at the the chapter that's titled Broken. But the title of the message today is We Are a Restored People. And Arden brings out in the chapter something that I know is probably not shocking to us is that we live in a broken world. We live in a world where we are surrounded every moment by criticism, cynicism, negativity. Um, There's just so much of it in our society. And Arden in the chapter describes it this way. He says, we know that the earth's resources have been depleted. We know that injustice is rampant, that prejudice and racism abound. Epidemics and riots fill our news feeds, and hopelessness, depression, and anxiety have become a way of life. Not just a way of life for adults, but even now our elementary-aged children are battling depression, anxiety, hopelessness, to the point that even children as young as fourth and fifth grade are contemplating taking their own lives. How did we get here? And how do we get out of here? Because it's not even just people that don't know Christ that are experiencing this hopelessness. There seems to be a hopelessness that has infected the church where we can't even see hope on the horizon. And there's so much despair. There's so much hopelessness. There's so much living in defeat. But the scripture says it doesn't have to be that way. Restoration is the answer to our brokenness. Restoration negates the power of brokenness. It erases the shame and the guilt that we carry and releases us from bondage. It breaks the chains. It allows us to fulfill the original design and intent for our lives. And God desires to restore every broken piece of our lives, whether that brokenness comes as a result of our own poor choices or whether that brokenness is a result of something that's been done to us, or whether that brokenness is really just a result of what seems like just circumstances that are beyond our control. And I recognize when we talk about brokenness that every single one of us has something in our lives that has caused us pain. But we're on this very broad spectrum today. And some of us maybe have experienced some some pain, but... It's not been so bad, but there are people in this room, there are people watching online that that sense of hopelessness and despair has settled into your heart so badly that you don't think that God could even use you 
anymore. There's no purpose for your life at all. And so today, wherever you are on that spectrum, I promise you, God's word speaks hope to your brokenness. Brokenness comes into our lives through so many different packages, through betrayals, through bitterness, through death, the loss of a loved one, through a shattered relationship, through a divorce, through addiction, through a financial loss, a loss of a job, physical sickness, depression, anxiety, whatever the cause of our brokenness, Jesus is the answer. The first thing that we have to do, as Arden points out in the chapter, is we have to see the hope in brokenness. No matter how broken we have become, there is always hope. As humans, I don't know if you've noticed this, we tend to try to avoid pain in our lives. So we tend to take the path of least resistance. If there are two paths in front of us and one looks like it's going to cause discomfort and pain and one looks like it's going to be easier, we tend to choose the easier path. We don't like difficulty. We don't like struggle. In fact, even difficult conversations or difficult situations that cause us stress or anxiety, we tend to shy away from. We think if we don't talk about it, it'll actually just resolve on its own. And what happens is that stress actually begins to take control over us, and it actually changes how we respond and react to situations. So we think avoiding it is the right way, but avoiding it is actually a more painful way. And that's why God wants us to admit our brokenness, to deal with our brokenness, to talk about uh, even what Heather talked about today, the hurts, the betrayals, the, the bitterness that gets into our hearts. He wants us to be honest and to be real and to face it and have the tough conversations that we need to have so that we can ultimately walk in the freedom that he has for us. Arden points out in the chapter that if we pretend our brokenness doesn't exist, if we try to repress it, it leads to more hurt, it leads to more shame, it actually leads us into bondage and then exercises control over us. So many of us stay in our brokenness as a result of our own choices because we fear bringing our brokenness into the light. The crazy thing is, is we all know God already knows our brokenness and yet we're afraid to bring it to him. We're afraid to bring it into the light. And I hope that today, the things that we read in God's word would break those fears off of our lives and bring us to a place where we're open about the brokenness that we've experienced in our lives. In reality, brokenness is necessary. I'm not saying that everything you've ever experienced in your life was necessary to get you where you are today, but some level of brokenness has to come into our lives. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, it says, Even though Jesus was God's Son, He learned obedience. It's interesting that the Son of God had to learn obedience from the things He suffered. In this way, God qualified Him as a perfect high priest, and He became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. See, all of us have to have in some level, some form, an area of brokenness in our, our lives. We have to come to a place where our wills have been 
fully submitted to God. Arden compares this to the idea of breaking a horse. Maybe it's a term that you've heard, but if there is a war horse that's going to be taken into battle, the horse has to be broken. The horse has to be to a, brought to a place where they're so submitted to the rider's voice that the horse will actually run into a dangerous situation that naturally it would try to run away from. And rather than be spooked and cause harm to the rider because of the things that are happening around them, the horse has to be broken over a period of time so that they are so submitted, they so trust the rider that they're going to go against their natural tendencies and they're going to do what the rider wants them to do. And in that sense, that's where brokenness needs to come into our lives. Not to the extent of some of the pain that we do experience, but God uses all of the pain that we experience, all of the brokenness in our lives to bring us to a place if we trust Him, if we allow Him to, if we're honest and real and we bring our, our brokenness out into the open, He'll use those situations to bring us into more submission to His will, more trust with Him so that His purposes can ultimately be accomplished in our lives. Now, God's design, God's plan, God's hope is not for us to experience pain and tragedy in our lives. But we do have to experience resistance. We do have to experience some level of brokenness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says it this way, We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble that we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. See, we can see God's original design for the pressure, the resistance that we need by looking at the, the beginning of the story in Genesis chapter 1 when he creates Adam and Eve. He creates Adam and Eve in his image and he places them in a garden and he gives them everything in the garden and he puts them here on the earth for the same reason that you and I are here to live for the glory of God, to be caretakers of the earth, to be submitted to his will and to represent him to all creation, to exercise his authority on the earth. There's only one condition for them and that condition is don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can eat from any other tree in the garden. You can eat from everything that I've put here. You can do everything else. Just don't do this. That represents the resistance that Adam and Eve needed. But rather than letting themselves be broken, rather than letting themselves realize that God's ways are better than their ways, they resisted that. And they thought they knew better, so they ate of the tree. And as a result of that, now brokenness comes into our lives in ways that God never wanted for us. We face situations like we talked about earlier with Royal Family Kids Camp, abuse and neglect that were never a part of God's original design for this earth. And a lot of times people get upset and angry with God because of the pain that comes into their lives. But ultimately, God is never the source of our pain. God is always the healer of our pain. And we look at God sometimes and we think that He could have intervened. He could have acted in a way. But God put us on this earth to be His representatives for His will to be done. 
It's up to us as the church, the body of Christ, to start taking that place, to start rising up, to to care for the orphan, to care for the widow, to care for the broken, to minister the restoration that God brought us when Jesus himself died in our place on the cross. It's time for the church to rise and shine and to live out this restoration that God has for us. And that's what Arden is calling, calling us to do. But the only way we can do that is if we start with ourselves and we're honest about the broken areas of our lives that God needs to restore. In Jeremiah chapter 18, there's an interesting story. God is speaking to Jeremiah and he wants him to give a message to his people. And God uses pictures a lot. As Heather talked about a dream, God uses dreams to, to share messages with us and to speak to us. And through prophets especially, God shares pictures and words and visions so that he, they can give messages to his people. And that's what's happening in Jeremiah chapter 18. And this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. God's about to describe this situation, and he's going to be the the potter in this story. And I want you to know there is a truth that we can see here, is that God is always at work at the wheel. He's not asleep at the wheel. I know that there are times in our lives where it feels like God has abandoned us, or God has left us, or he's not paying attention. It seems like the wicked prosper, and we don't understand. But I assure you, God is always at work at the wheel. He's at work in our world. He's at work in each and every one of our lives. And as Jeremiah is watching, this is what it says, but the pot he was shaping from the clay. We're the clay. We're the pot. The pot that he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. See, sometimes you can do everything right. You can be right in His hands. And yet something happens in your life and you become marred. Not because of what the potter did. It doesn't say the potter marred the clay. The clay became marred in His hands. There's the hope of brokenness. You're in His hands. Whether you've become marred because of your own bad choices whether you've become marred because of the choices of other people, whether you've become marred because of the circumstances of your life that you had no control over, you're in His hands. I referenced earlier a scripture that Paul uses in the book of Acts to say that God has done all of these things. He's given us the Bible. He's given us Jesus. He's done all of these things in hopes that we would find Him. Yet He's not very far from any one of us. Even those that say to God, I don't believe you exist and I don't want anything to do with you. (laughs) I assure you, you are still in his hands because it's in him we live and move and have our being. And if God did as you wished and totally withdrew from your life, the air in your lungs would cease to exist and you would no longer live. I promise you, if you are breathing today, you're in his hands. No matter how broken you feel, how lost you feel, you are in his hands. And when the clay becomes marred, look at what the potter does. The potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best 
to him. The question is, are we going to trust him to form us, to form our lives, maybe to deal with the hurts that have been done to us, to deal with the offender? Are we going to be able to do what Heather said and, and forgive those who have wronged us and trust that the potter is at work at the wheel and he is going to form our lives in a way that seems best to him? In the book of Genesis, we get a story of Joseph. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, Joseph is the first of 12 brothers. Excuse me, he's the last of 12 brothers. And so you should put everything in your notes so you don't forget stuff. But he's the last of 12 brothers, and he's the favorite. We know he's the favorite from the story. We know that his father loves him more than the other brothers. And the other brothers become jealous of him. And they become jealous of him because he has all these dreams about the brothers and the, the father and the mother bowing down to worship him in some way, and they don't understand it. And he's a little bit arrogant, and he, he tattletales on the, the other brothers when they're not doing the things they're supposed to do. And so there's a whole lot of stuff that's going on in this story. But um, in Genesis chapter 50, or in Genesis chapter 38, I believe it is, that the brothers sell him into slavery in Egypt. And as a result, he goes to a foreign country, he lives as a slave, he's falsely accused, he gets in prison, but through God's grace, God brings him out of prison, he makes him second in command in all of Egypt, and his brothers come to him, and they come to buy grain, and when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, his brothers are afraid, because, I mean, I don't know, put yourself in their shoes for a second. This is the little brother that you sold into slavery and told daddy was dead. And now dad is dead. And you're a little concerned that little brother who's second in command in all of Egypt is going to get even with you. But luckily, Joseph had already submitted his brokenness to the Lord. Because look at what he says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me. See, it's not like, oh, you, oh, yeah, you guys just didn't know what you were doing. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And we can look at this story and we can even look at what Joseph is saying here and we could think, man, so God's the reason that Joseph got sold into slavery? No, God would have found a way to get Joseph where he needed to go. But God knew the hearts of his brothers. God knew what they were going to do to Joseph. God knew what was in Joseph's heart. He knew the entire story. He knew Potiphar's wife. He knew where Joseph would end up. It wasn't his best design. It wasn't his design at all. But God used the free will of others to bring Joseph to a place where Joseph needed to be in order to save the lives of others. And if you and I will trust God with our stories... We'll trust God with our hurts and our pains and our mistakes and our brokenness. God can use our brokenness to bring life to others in the same way that he did for Joseph. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. That, that verse does not tell us that everything that happens in our lives will be good. But it promises that if we live called according to the purpose God has, we trust that he's at the wheel. We trust that even though our lives right now look very marred and very broken, he's at work. And I can trust him. He will bring good out of every circumstance that we face. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, 
Paul says, we have this treasure, we have this hope, we have this message about God in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not us. Later on in chapter 12, this is what God says back to Paul. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So Paul says, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses, in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now Paul's not advocating us to go looking for hardship. He's not asking us to go try to put ourselves into situations where people can mistreat us. But I promise you, if you plan to live called according to the purpose of God, trouble will find you. You cannot live on this earth without experiencing pain and hardship. It's not possible. And the question is, will we put it in His hands and fully trust Him? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says this, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and the new life has begun. See, many times when we come to faith in Christ, when we put our trust in Him, we sometimes get this idea that He's going to make all things new uh, to mean that He's going to hide the brokenness of our lives. He's going to repair all the cracks and all the memories are going to be wiped away and all of the, the feelings. I mean, I forgive it. I mean, hey, I forgave that person today. And so if you expect that the moment you walk out this door that you're not going to have feelings of uh, anger, hurt, bitterness, like those things are going to keep coming back until we just learn to keep surrendering them over and over. And as Heather said, we remind ourselves, no, I've forgiven that person. And it may take time for the emotions to catch up to that decision. It may take time until we can actually see the hand of God at work in our lives. And Arden talks about what, what's known as kintsugi in the book. And this is a Japanese art form. It's a Japanese way of repairing broken pottery. And what it does is it takes pottery that has been broken. And rather than try to repair it in a way that hides the brokenness, it actually infuses the cracks with a gold lacquer. And it's an art form that actually celebrates the breakage and repair as a part of the history of the object and not something to hide. And so rather than hiding its flaws, it's decorated and crowned with significance. I have a picture of this. Put it up on the screen if you would. This is what it looks like. And so I don't know when you read that God makes all things new if this is what you had in mind. Because some of us want our cracks to be hidden. We don't want to talk about our past. We don't want to talk about our pain. And because of it, we actually stay in bondage to it. And the enemy uses it to keep putting us into a more and more bondage, and we can't find the freedom we need. God wants to infuse every crack in our lives with His grace and to actually use that grace for His glory and for our benefit. The odd thing is, is I, I told you, when I got this book, I was diagnosed with COVID on December the 15th. 
And so I'm at home. I can't go anywhere. I can't be with anyone. I didn't want to read my Kindle because it just, my, my head hurt. And so I, I got the copy of this book, pre-released copy of this book, in my hand. December 15th, I had it. So sometime around December 16th or 17th, I started reading it. And I want you to know, I got this picture off of Facebook because on December 19th, one of my friends just happened to post this picture. And I want to read what he wrote when he posted this picture. This is what he wrote. The Lord never discards broken things. Instead, he brings the pieces back together and glues it together with the gold of his love, his mercy, his grace, and his forgiveness. He takes what is broken and shattered and makes it beautiful again and fit for the master's use. He uses our weakness to display his strength. He gives us beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. If you are broken today, bring the pieces to Jesus, rise and be healed. Now that's quite a coincidence that one of my Facebook friends, who doesn't have a copy of this pre-release book, just happens to post it when I read about it. The odd thing is, on the exact same day, December 19th, another friend posted the exact same picture. I'm guessing she got it from the first guy's Facebook page, but I don't know for sure. And this is what she said. Cracks, nicks, breaks. These are all the things we don't want to see in our bowls or plates when we go to use them. We usually throw them away because they're not usable anymore. However, the same is not true of our personal lives. We think because we have a few nicks or cracks that we're no longer usable, but this is not true. There's a process that is used by the Japanese that fixes the cracks by placing gold in them. It makes them stronger than before. This is what God does with our cracks and our nicks. He places a stronger substance in there to hold us together. Himself. (laughs) You become even more usable because of the strength that comes from God in you. Never allow your mind to place you unusable in the garbage. God has a plan for you. You are amazing and a usable vessel. Wow, that's a heck of a coincidence that... These people are talking about an art form that I had never heard of till I picked up this book. There's a message that God wants this generation to hear. You may see yourself as broken, but God's got a plan to put those pieces back together. And you may wish that you could hide some of those cracks, but He is going to use every single one of them to take what was meant to destroy you Not only use it for your good, but for the salvation of many people around you. And the enemy knows that. And the enemy wants you to to retreat, to hide in your shame and your guilt and your fear and your bitterness and think that if you just don't bring it up, that it's going to be okay. The problem is that puts so many chains on our hearts and we cannot live in the freedom that God has for us, chained by the bitterness and the hurt and the pain of our past. As I said at the beginning of the message today, I know that every single one of us have faced some level of hardship and pain. The problem is we all have varying degrees of that. And I know that there are some of you today that the brokenness that you've experienced, I can't even begin to imagine. You know, every year when we go to Royal Family Kids Camp and I hear stories about what has been done to some of these kids, It breaks my heart. 
And I want to do everything I can to make sure that every single one of them knows their value, knows that there's a God in heaven who loves them, and that even though their lives are marred today, they're marred in His hands. And hiding it or hiding from it will never bring restoration to our lives. Exposing it and letting God deal with it and letting God pour His grace and love into those cracks, that's what brings His freedom. Whatever cracks that you have, whatever brokenness you feel, it is not the end of your story. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says, And the God of all grace, who called you, to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. We can be restored. The question is, which narrative are we going to trust? Are we going to let our cracks be highlighted with the gold and the grace of God, or are we going to try to keep hiding them? Are we going to bring them into the light today and say, God, I need your restoration. That's going to mean facing the pain of our past mistakes. For some of us, we need to stop blaming other people in our lives for our poor choices. We need to take ownership of some of our poor choices, and we need to admit those mistakes. It's easy to blame a spouse. It's easy to blame a parent. It's easy to blame a boss. It's easy to blame someone else for the bad decisions that we've made because of what others have done to us. But there's no freedom in that. And I know it's hard for us to admit at times that we've made those mistakes, but we've got to bring those things into the open. We also have to face the, the pain of our past betrayals and abuse. We need, to, we need to refuse to hold others in that place of bondage, and we need to release that. We need to offer forgiveness. Forgiveness and restoration are not the same thing. We're called to forgive those who have wronged us. But your relationships may not be able to be restored instantly. For those of you that are in this room that have been removed from an abusive situation, you desperately need to offer forgiveness to those who have abused you. But you do not need to put yourself back into a relationship that's going to continue to bring further abuse to you. There needs to be steps of restoration that another, the other party makes in order for you to be restored to a good relationship. But the forgiveness aspect is in your lap. It's a choice that you make to release them. The scripture says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. If we release to God the offenses that have been done to us, God will handle them. And trust me, He can handle them. But he's not going to handle them in a way that just brings retribution to that person. He wants the salvation of that person. One of the hardest things, I think, for our culture to wrestle with right now is what to do with abusers. Almost all of us in our society recognize the pain of abuse. We recognize that when children have been uh, sexually abused or verbally abused or physically abused, uh, we, we want to protect them. There are not many people in our society that don't want to protect children in those situations. But where we really need to grow as believers is how we let our emotions run towards the abuser. We never let abusers off the hook. If you abuse another person, our society has laws that you have to face. 
but we have to be careful how we walk out restoration. Because God wants restoration not only for the victim of abuse, He wants restoration for the abuser. And that's a tough road to walk in our society. It's even tough to talk about. And for me to choose the words that I need to use to even put that out there. But God doesn't see the abuser the same way that you and I do. He sees them as broken. He sees them in need of His grace and His mercy and His love. And He's called us as His people to offer that same love and mercy and grace to Him. We have to stay in hope. No matter how broken our lives become, no matter how broken our world becomes, we need to stay hopeful. There is a God who continues to be at work at the wheel. And I know it's easy to get on Facebook today, and it's easy to watch the news today, and it's easy just to listen to the conversations at work today, and to allow ourselves to get sucked into this. The the world is so tragic and so bad, but God is at work at the wheel. And He has put this gift of restoration in our lives for us to put it on display everywhere we go. To infuse our cracks with His grace, His love, His mercy, His forgiveness, His hope, so that you and I can be on display for others that need that same grace and same mercy and same hope infused into the cracks of their lives too. My hope today is that every single one of us learns to live free from shame, from guilt, from bondage, from pain, from hurt, even from the expectations of others. That we bring our brokenness into the light today. I want you I want you to just bow your heads where you are. And uh I know that, again, every one of us has faced brokenness, and I have no idea the brokenness that you face. I know this. I know that some people are really good at putting on a happy face. (laughs) And there's a lot of brokenness on the inside of your heart. Just this week, we were meeting with leaders and I referenced a meme that I had seen many years ago and it shows up on my Facebook feed every once in a while it showed up again this week and the meme is what we think depression looks like and it shows someone wearing all black you know dark makeup dark fingernails dark everything and it's just dark and that's in our minds what we think depression looks like and then it shows another picture and says, but here's what depression really looks like. And there's a picture of Robin Williams. I mean, Robin Williams was famous for making people laugh. Um, you know, if you, if you let yourself, th- you know, even in interviews, even when he was on uh, places like The Tonight Show or Late Night with David Letterman, and uh, just always a joke and always a cut-up, but that's a coping mechanism for what's really going on inside sometimes. And we can use jokes and laughter and trying to get to cover up what's going on on the inside. And uh, tragically, Robin Williams took his own life because of the depression that, that haunted him day and night. And so I don't know where you are today, 
because you look good on the outside. You got a smile on your face. Hey, you're in church today. But you could be covering up a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, an addiction, some type of abuse, whether mental, physical, sexual. Maybe it's just words that have been spoken over you all your life, that you're never going to amount to anything, that you're a failure. Maybe they weren't spoken over you, but maybe that's how you felt growing up, like you could never do anything right. Maybe that's how you feel in your marriage, like you can't ever do anything right. It's betrayals, abandonment. But no matter how dark your past has been, God has another chapter in your story. Some of you maybe even feel guilty because you've blamed God. <laughs> Can I tell you? <laughs> He's big enough to handle that. And He doesn't even hold that against you. He stands today with open arms, working at the wheel, forming you, wanting to form you into what He sees best. He is not the author of your pain but He will use every bit of it to bring good to your life and to bring hope and restoration to those around it, to around you, if you let Him. But today it's up to you. It's up to you to break its control over you by surrendering all of it to Christ. If you've never surrendered your life to Christ, you have to start there. But for some of us, we get really good at going to church all our lives, even reading our Bible and following Jesus, but there's stuff that we just haven't surrendered to turn over to Him. Turn it over to Him today. In just a moment, I'm going to pray with you, and I'm going to ask you to do what Heather did. I'm going to ask you to put your hands out, and I want you to imagine, as you put your hands out in front of you, I want you to imagine everything that you need to put in your hands right now. Every broken, every broken part of your life, <laughs> all those feelings of insecurity, security, inadequacy, all of the pain of betrayal and abuse and hurt, and I wish I could tell you that the moment you walk out of this room today, it's just all going to magically disappear. <laughs> but for some of you, it's going to be a long road ahead. <laughs> and you need to remind yourself, there's a God who's always at work at that wheel. And every day you need to ask for more grace, <laughs> more mercy, more love, more hope to fill those cracks for some of you, you need to find a community of believers. And I'm not just talking about a church to belong to. I'm talking about even one or two other people that you can really open up to. You can share what's going on in your heart that are going to help keep you in hope. They're going to help remind you of who you are. And they're going to challenge you when you try to be self-sabotaging. Because we are a restored people not a broken people. And our cracks 
are a story of grace and our lives are a testimony to God's love. And so God, in our hands today, is represented all the hurt, all the pain, all the heartache that we've experienced in our lives. Father, somebody's, some hands today are really full. But God, you are so big. And there is nothing that we've ever experienced in our lives that can outshadow you. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray, come right now in every home that's watching online, all throughout this room, begin to scoop up all of those pains, all of those hurts. Begin to infuse our cracks today with your grace, with your love, God, with your mercy, with your hope. God, fill our hearts with your hope today. May you cause our hearts overflow with hope through the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, we trust you. We trust that you're at work at the wheel. We trust the story that you're writing for our lives. Today we make the choice to forgive those that need to be forgiven in our lives. God, we choose to forgive ourselves, even for the bad choices that we've made that sometimes haunt us. The words that we didn't say just right that caused pain. The actions that we've committed that led to brokenness in the lives of others. God, we refuse to carry it anymore. Give us grace to forgive ourselves today. God, we let go of the desire to control, to make circumstances work out on our behalf, to prove ourselves right. God, we release it all today. We trust you. We trust you. Thank you for staying at the wheel. <laughs> Thank you that even when we've asked you to get out of our lives, <laughs> You've refused. Thank you for never treating us as our sins deserve, but for continuously pursuing us with a love that is steadfast and faithful and true. We love you, God. Help us to walk out this restoration, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Before we leave, before we finish today, we want to do one last thing. And uh, that's a heavy moment, but um, God is a God of hope. And uh, maybe this is a good thing to do uh, right now because it's a reminder of hope.
And uh, we're going to do uh, a baby dedication. It's a privilege to be able to do these and to be a part of it. And um, Luis and Kylie Valentin have been a part of our church for a while. And uh, they're going to make their way up here to the front. And they are bringing their nephew. Their nephew's name is Jose Alvarez. And um, they reached out. They wanted to do a baby dedication for their nephew. And, you know, for many of you, um, you have either nieces or nephews or you have um, grandchildren or you have other people, other children in your life that maybe their parents aren't believers or their parents are, or they've, these children have been brought into your life and we want to partner with you uh, and do baby dedications for those moments as well. And so it's a privilege to be able to participate in it, in it today. And so if you guys want to come on out, um, the baby dedication that we perform never makes the child a Christian. But what a baby dedication is, is it's a step of humility. It's an acknowledgement where parents or caretakers say, uh, God, we need your help. We trust that you're at work at the wheel, and we trust that you've got a plan for this life, and we want to be a part of it. In Jeremiah chapter 1, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And if there's anything that displays innocence in our world, it's the face of a child. And we know what kind of world that he's about to grow up in. And this is why a dedication is so important, because it's the, the humble beginning that says, God, we need your help, we need your grace in every situation. And, of course, the primary care and responsibility rests on Luis and Kylie. And the scriptures say this to you. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Bring him up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Teach him God's commandments diligently. Talk about them when you sit down, when you walk, when you lie down, and when you get up. Luis and Kylie, as you engage in that task with joy and peace, I pray that you would earnestly seek God daily for his wisdom, for all the events that are going to occur, all the decisions that will need to be made, and all the needs that will need to be met. James says, if you lack wisdom, ask of God and he will give it liberally. So may you also daily give thanks to God for Jose, for the love, the joy that he brings to your home. And then as he grows, I pray that you would earnestly strive to spend adequate time with him to help develop a strong moral foundation for his life and an awareness of the Lordship of Jesus Christ and his abiding presence. So in the sight of God and in the presence of witnesses, do you recognize that Jose is a gift from God and do you thank him and glorify God for the gift of Jose? Do you accept the joy and responsibility of parenting, promising to give proper love and care to Jose throughout his life? And with God's help, do you commit to teach Jose the fullness of God's word and demonstrate through your own example and witness what it means to love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength? All right. There's another agent of influence that's represented in Jose's life, and that is the church, the body of Christ. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and I want to charge you in your responsibility toward Jose. I charge you as a body to do all that you can to provide and support a place of worship in this community where Jose may hear the full counsel of God's word. I urge you to be faithful in offering your ongoing love, 
support, prayers, and encouragement for this family. And I charge you to covenant before God to set an example by your lives and maintain an atmosphere in our church which will inspire him to trust in Christ as his Savior and his Lord. If you accept this responsibility, respond by saying, we do. All right, let's pray. As we pray for them, would you just stretch out your hand and uh, let's pray for this couple and for Jose today. And so, Father, uh, we know that children are a blessing from you. And however they come into our lives, God, we are so grateful that you have brought into Jose's life, Luis and Kylie. God, we are thankful that they have in their hearts, God, this humble declaration that they need your help. They need your grace. God, that we live in a world where there is so much pressure, there's so much uh, anxiety and fear and uh, immorality and ungodliness, and they need your grace for the decisions that need to be made, and God, for the grace that it just takes to raise a child in this generation. And so I pray, give them the wisdom that they need. God, give them grace to speak life over Jose's life. I pray for dreams and visions. God, to come to them, to know the purposes and the plans that you have for this young boy. God, that you would, uh, God, put in their hearts the things to, to pray, to speak, God, to live over him. I pray that on days when they struggle, on days when they make mistakes, God, when on days when they act or say things that they shouldn't, may they model the humility that it takes to repent, to, to ask for forgiveness. God, to be the type of influence that's going to lead this young boy God, to, to know you and to honor you in every part of his life. God, today we pray over Jose. God, we know that you have purposes and plans for this young boy. And God, we just ask for every single one of them to come to pass in his life. God, that even from this young age, I pray that, that he would learn to hear your voice. God, that like young Samuel, that, that heard you speak and call his name. God, that he would recognize your voice. God, Fill his mind with dreams and visions and plans, purposes for who you are. God, protect him from the type of abuses and the type of schemes and plans that the enemy would try to bring to sidetrack your plans for his life. But God, in every way, we just pray that you would infuse every part of his life with your grace, your mercy, your love, and your hope today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for sticking around and uh, participating in that with us. God bless you as you go. Our hosts are going to come and dismiss you um, by row. If you cannot social distance, again, we just ask you wear a mask when you can't and uh, social distance when you can. God bless you as you go today.